Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. We're in a series entitled Live Love. Live Love is not only the projects we're doing, but it's also a teaching series that I'm presenting to the congregation that proclaims kind of a new branding we're doing with the congregation, and it rolls out uh, this fall as we come out of the First John series where I talked about live like Jesus, and then in this particular series called Live Love, Share His Love, we're actually going to be branding a new brand for City Bible Church called Live Like Jesus, Share His Love as our target as a congregation that we can pray and we can remember. Uh, my mission statement that I wrote for the church some years back uh, we've used for a long time, but I cannot even say it because it's too long. And so when the guys wanted to change the mission statement and kind of uh, rebrand, uh, they were a little bit debating with me and arguing with me about it. And of course, I'm, I'm a willing soul to flow with good leaders, uh, but especially when it agrees with me. And so uh, they asked me, they said, well, tell us the mission statement you wrote. And I couldn't quote it. And that was how they finally got me to uh, consider that uh, probably none of the church can quote it either. And, uh, and so uh, we went into a, a new branding uh, think tank about it. And so that's what we're coming up with. And so uh, the last series with First John, which we did verse by verse for pretty much the whole summer on living like Jesus. And now this series, Live Love, is really about sharing his love in a very practical way. And that's why we're doing all the Live Love projects through the campuses, through small groups, and through many other things, because we're wanting to just uh, activate a compassion in every person to share love, to look around and see the needs, and then do something about it in a very practical way. All right, Live Love, this is my definition. Live Love means that in every day, everyone say every day, in everyday situations, you make a purposeful decision. This is all that I'm after, to live like Jesus. Share his love with grace-filled actions that engage people in need. Obviously, the mandate to live like Jesus is a high target, high bar to set. You can't live like Jesus if Jesus is not in you. That's, there's no possible way that you will ever even go there. There has to be a grace of God reside in you, and that grace of God is Christ himself, Christ in you. And so as you become born again, and I tried to make it abundantly clear in one of my messages as we started on this journey, what it means to be born again. How do you find Christ? What is the gospel? Because you can't share what you don't have. If you don't possess it, you cannot give it to someone else. So if you're going to talk about sharing Jesus with people, you can't share Jesus with people if you've never been saved, if you don't know Christ, and if you don't have the Christ virtue that's in your life that is flowing out from you. Not only do you have to know Christ, you have to be filled with Christ, filled with the virtue of the Holy Spirit. You have to have what is called the fruits of the Holy Spirit. There has to be something in you to share with people that have a need. If your needs overwhelm you, which we go through seasons of life where that happens, you should not live there as a Christian. You should overcome that, work through that, get prayer, get counseling, read the word, get the power of God to work in your life and overcome that particular problem in your life so that you can actually help someone else that has a problem, that you can actually reach into someone else's life. You can only do that if you know Christ. Knowing Christ is a very real thing, and it's a very accurate thing. How many of you would know that you're married? How many of you would know that you're single? If I would ask you personally and say, are you married or are you single? Not putting all the other, well, there could be some other definitions in the 21st century, but forego all that and just get to the bottom line and say, are you legally married? Are you single? You would know for sure to tell me, well, I am single, but I'm going to be married. Well, that, I, I'm just asking, are you single now? Yes, I am single. Are you married now? Yes, I am definitely married. You would not say, I think I'm married. Am I married? <laughs> yes, I think so. I think I am. Uh, you would not run into that. And so it is when it comes to knowing Jesus. You would not be in a situation, if you don't know Jesus, you, you might say, uh, I think I do. No, I don't know if I do. Well, I'm not sure. It's not that way. 
Either you are or you are not. Either you're in Christ or you're out of Christ. There is no middle ground. There's no gray. There's no guesswork. There's no, I think maybe there might have been a time that I might have. There is no guesswork. If you're born again, and Jesus is in you, it's absolute, it's concrete, it bears fruit. You have turned to Christ. Your life is under Jesus. You're walking in the Holy Spirit. You're bearing your cross. You have changed. There's something inside of you that drives you with a new value system. Why? Because you've been born again. When you're born again, it's an absolute thing. When you begin to share Christ with people, you have to share an absolute Christ with them. Not maybe I think he's the answer. I'm not sure, but you could try that. I'm trying to try that, but I'm not sure he's the only way. But maybe you you would never do that. You would share what is in you with someone else. So live love. It's not just about sharing in the practical. It's also about sharing Christ with people. We talked about a couple scriptures Matthew 9, if you would like to go there in your Bible, 35, 36, I'm reading message translation. Then Jesus made a circuit of all the towns and villages simply as he traveled, wherever he went. He's going to do the things he's going to talk about. And my point with this is wherever you live, wherever you go, whatever happens in your life, that's how you share the gospel. That's how you look for needs. That's what you do. The needs you will meet will not be in a church service. Sometimes they might. Most of the time, they will not. Church is not the place for you to go about and look for the needs. It's in life. It's 24-7. It's in the marketplace. It's on the schools. It's, it's, it's wherever you are in life, in the neighborhood, that you would look for needs and you would meet that need. So Jesus, wherever he went, remember, in the synagogue, on the mountaintop, on the dusty road, in the home with Peter's mother-in-law, wherever he was, Jesus was able to move into and make a difference because of his message of the kingdom of God. So this scripture says, he went about and he taught. Now for us, that would be share in their meeting places. He reported kingdom news. You can do that. Talk about the kingdom and the news, what's going on as far as what's happening in the kingdom of God. And he reported kingdom news. Well, this separates us right here. This next phrase might just separate some of us. And he healed their diseased bodies. Well, Frank, you know, I'm good up to that point right there. I think that I can go wherever. I can share something. But healed their diseased bodies. Hmm. Don't know about that one. And healed their bruised and hurt lives. Now, the mandate, there's four in this scripture that I brought to you. Fourfold mandate of live love, is share the gospel, pray for miracles, shepherd people, pray for more workers. These are the four things that Jesus gave this group of people. Remember, he is not teaching in a Bible college. He's not in a church service. He's not in a seminary. He's not in a conference. He's not in a deeper life conference, a charismatic conference, a Bible conference, a walk through the Bible. He is talking to normal people about normal life. And he says to them, you know, really what I want you to do is I want you to share the gospel. And I want you to pray for miracles. And I want you to shepherd the people you encounter. And I want you to pray that there would be more workers to do the same. Because the harvest is so huge. But the laborers, those who work in context of their life. Those who will do this in context of everyday living. Those who will actually activate kingdom lifestyle wherever they are. Jesus says, you need to pray because we need thousands and thousands of more people that will do what I'm talking about. Not talking about full-time ministry. Not talking about missionaries. This is not a cross-cultural send missionaries to a foreign land scripture, even though we use it almost every time for that. It's not about that. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying, go to another culture. Labors are few. You need to go to Iraq. Of course we do. We're trying to do that. We go to the nations of the world because we want to uh, preach the gospel to everybody. But the key to the scripture is not all the nations of the world. It's all the neighborhoods of your life. It's not you raising money to go to a foreign land. It's you getting enough courage to talk to the people around you. 
It's not about you becoming a crusade healer and a miracle worker and, and you're going to go and go on television and radio and, and you're going to go across the world and have crusades for healing the sick. It's not about crusades. It's about you having enough margin in your life to believe that you can move into a realm that will meet the needs of people wherever you are at any time through you. Not a missionary, not a pastor, but through you. You are called. I want you to say out loud, I'm called to share the gospel. I'm called to, share the gospel. I'm called to pray for miracles. I am a shepherd of people. I'm a worker. And I can get more workers. The verse is for you. It's for you. Share the gospel. Pray for miracles. Shepherd people. And pray for willing laborers in life context. Now. Mark 16, which is the Great Commission Scripture, verse 20. I'm reading in the New Century Translation. Mark 16 and verse 20. The followers, everyone say followers. followers. Now in Jesus' day, a follower was a disciple. In the American churchianity, a follower and a disciple and a church attender are not the same. You can be a church attender and never become a follower of Christ. You can be a follower and never get deep enough to be a disciple. But in Christ's language, there was only one group of people. Everyone fit into the same category. If you were going to move from this kingdom to this kingdom, from the other kingdom, which is the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of light, you would become a disciple. There's no other word for you. They were first disciples, then they were called Christians later on in the book of Acts, but they were first disciples. And a disciple is a person who is a disciplined person. A disciple is a person who picks up their cross daily, denies themselves, follows Christ. A follower is a person who will deny even his own things in order to fulfill the kingdom of God commission. They are followers. Notice what the followers do. They went everywhere. Would you all say out loud everywhere? everywhere. In the world. I want you to say, in my world. In my world. And what did they do? They told the good news of people. Now, there's good news and there's bad news in the gospel. There's both. Jesus gives both. Sometimes it's brutal the way Jesus gave both. But he gave it and he was truthful. The good news is what they were taking. And the news they were taking was the good news that Christ died Christ bore our sins on the cross. He rose from the dead. He's alive today and he makes intercession for us. Christ is our sacrificial lamb. He is the one who can cover our sin. And so the good news is there's hope and there's eternal hope in Christ. They went around talking to everybody about the good news. And it says, and the Lord helped them. Say it out loud. It's not your kingdom. It's his. You didn't die on the cross. He did. It's not your Holy Spirit that's poured out. It's his. It's not your power. It's not your source. It's not your sacrifice. It's not your blood. The whole business is built on him. He bought the church. He owned the church. He poured out the Holy Spirit. He died for sins. He rose from the dead. He fulfilled all the prophecies. And now he pours out his spirit upon us. When you enter into this, it's him helping you do what he wants done in his kingdom. But he helps you. How does he help you? The Lord proved that the good news they told was true. How? How did he prove it? The Lord proved that the good news was true by giving them power. Hmm. To work miracles. Hmm. The message today is titled a full gospel, not a half gospel, not a quarter gospel, but proclaiming a full gospel. And proclaiming a full gospel 
takes the fullness of the message to come forth with power. And the fullness of the message is not just a message to the intellect. It's not just an academic message. It's not just a rationale. It's not a way to debate what is good with science and good with Bible and how can we prove the the inerrancy of Scripture. All of that is okay. But the Bible written for you and I and the gospel that was preached with the Bible you and I own would never preach without the power of God. We're the only nation in the world that tries to preach the gospel without the power of God. There's no other nation I go to that tried to do this. But in America, we have more seminaries, more Bible colleges, more education, more radio stations, more television stations, more books, more everything in America. The whole world put together doesn't have as many seminaries as we have in our one country. The whole world does not have the Bible colleges we have. The whole world gets books from us and translates into their language. We are an academic-driven nation. We are a rationalization, scientific-minded nation. We are going to prove it by the intellect. We're going to prove it by the data. We're going to prove it by the stuff we can read and prove. But the kingdom of God was not preached by information. It was preached by demonstration of the power of a living God working in the lives of people. And when Jesus finally gives us the word to go preach the gospel, he says, and by the way, I want you to preach my gospel and I will help you. I will help you. Help me do what? I will help you move into a realm of the supernatural. Oh, I'm not sure I can do that. Of course you can do that. Why would Jesus say it? I will prove the good news that you preach. How? All right, the live love full gospel. Six things happen. Preaching, teaching, praying, for miracles, praying for healing, salvation of one at a time, our whole city. Those are the six things you will find in the Gospels and in the book of Acts over and over again. They preached, they taught, they prayed. Miracles is one category, healing's another. They shared one on one, just like Jesus with the woman at the well or Philip with the Ethiopian and one-on-one, or they shared with whole cities and whole towns turned to Christ. That's what Jesus did. That's what the apostles did. That's what the book of Acts did. With that, there's a power ingredient that needs to happen in the church. Now, this is my presupposition. Live love proclaims the full gospel. What does that mean? This is simply what I mean when I say we believe in the full range of the Holy Spirit activity throughout the church. Age. As a vital part of preaching the gospel, including miracles, healings, signs, and wonders. Meaning, miracles never stopped. Meaning, the activity of the Holy Spirit with the gifts of the Holy Spirit never stopped. Now, there are some denominations, I'm not going to go there because it would be kind of a theological uh, base I would have to lay in order to say this to you, but in this church, in City Bible Church, and in all of our teaching and our theology, we believe a continuity of working of the Holy Spirit from the day of Pentecost till now, that the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the early church in Acts chapter 2 when it says, and when the day of Pentecost had fully come, the Holy Spirit was poured out, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they began to preach the gospel again with power, with signs, with wonders, and then you have the same thing happening throughout the book of Acts. It wasn't just in Acts chapter 2. It was in Acts chapter 10. It was in Acts chapter 19. It wasn't just in that historical book. When you go to the epistles, they are still talking about the Holy Spirit and power and the gifts and what's going to happen. And so there's a continuity of what happens in the church. We believe simply that miracles and the power of God are for today, and we need to press through the door, believe them, resist unbelief, call on the name of the Lord, and see a world shaken by the power of God, not just the mind of man. Can I hear an amen? And so us believing that the gospel includes, includes signs, miracles, healings, supernatural. 1 Corinthians 4.20. For the kingdom of God is demonstrated not in idle talk, but with power. 
The kingdom of God, it demonstrated not just with talk, but with power. The biblical pattern of full gospel proclamation, that is the gospel being proclaimed with power and being proclaimed in such a way that you would see the two working together. They preached the intellectual side, the uh, rationale side, the theology side. Absolutely, that's why we have the epistles. That's why we have the scripture written. You need to understand what it teaches, but they preached it with power that proved the message that allowed for people to move from just a mind game into an experience of the kingdom of God, which is a rule and reigning game, that God is in charge of everything. Now, the biblical pattern of full gospel proclamations in the book of Acts, you have these scriptures, Acts 4, 8, 9, 14, and 19. Take these down. I'm not going to preach them. But when you read through these scriptures in Acts chapter 4, verse 29 and 30, they cry out and they say, Lord, we want to speak with boldness. And I want us to speak with boldness. But it says, by stretching out your hand to heal. Signs and wonders will be done in your holy name. Acts 8 verses 4 through 7 and verse 12 and 13, you have what happens when all the believers were scattered abroad. It says they began to preach the word. And then Philip, he goes down to Samaria and he begins to move in the realm of miracles. And it says, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did, the unclean spirits cried out with a loud voice, came out of people. Many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. But when they believed Philip as he preached, they turned to the Lord. Philip preaches the doctrine of Christ with signs and miracles and healings and power things that happen at that point. Now, we're not going to go there today. But there is an, an element of the kingdom of God that the American church seemed to ignore totally. And I understand it. I understand it. Demons. Spirits. Possession, the evil side, the attachment of a spirit upon a human body or a soul or a mind. We don't even pray for that. We don't even go there anymore. We're afraid of the legal side or we're afraid of the weird side. Some people see a devil under every bush and try to cast everything out of everybody and, and they try to make everything a demon. And some people go off on demonology and deliverance ministries that get so spooky and so weird. Even Jesus is researching into what they're doing. He's not sure what they're doing. And sometimes uh, Christians can just get weird. We can just do weird things at the wrong time and, and get funny. And I'm not talking about that. But the fact is, there are some sicknesses that have a spirit side to them. Jesus broke the spirit off people that brought healing to even things like deafness, a spirit of deafness a spirit of infirmity that causes a sickness or an ailment. And again, in our countries, not as much other countries seem to go there and they don't mind going there. We're just a little too sophisticated to actually say to someone, I think there's a spirit involved with this and I want to just pray in the name of Jesus and, and break the spirit off of you. We might not even say that much. Everything is mental. Everything is emotional. Everything is physical. Everything is rational. We don't want to go to the spirit side. But I guarantee you, there are certain diseases, certain sicknesses, and certain ailments, and certain bondages in people's lives that are not just physical. There's some spiritual stuff going on, and it binds their mind and binds their heart. We need the church to match the evil power with Holy Spirit power, not backing off from the devil and not giving the devil too much room. But we need to have faith that we can actually pray for deliverance, pray for something to happen in the mind of a person, in the heart of a person, and see them broken out of the kingdom of darkness and the bondage that they're under because of the power of God. Let's all give a big shout and a clap to Jesus. Come on. If you believe that, yes. Well, you are the person that has to go there. This is a, not scriptures for the full-time pastor. This is disciples. In Acts 9, as Peter went through the land, it says the healing came upon people. In Acts 14, they were there healing, healing, healing. Act 19, there were so many healings. In Acts chapter 19, verse 11, we have this 
amazing verse, and God worked unusual miracles. What in the world is an unusual miracle? A miracle is unusual anyway. How in the world can a miracle be more than an unusual? Paul started working some unusual miracles. So people start bringing their handkerchiefs, which are not hankies like you see in a suit, but work cloths. For Paul to just pray, and then they would take the cloth and lay it on somebody. And that's how you have some of these evangelists and people. But Paul did not say, if you send me $100, you can have a piece of my cloth, and I'll send you a bottle of my oil. If you send $200, you get two bottles of oil and another half cloth. He didn't do that. Some of our stuff that we see on television is Pentecostal, Pentecostal witchcraft. It's, it's, it's baloney. And this is going to be podcast down to everybody. <laughs> so be it. I get ticked off at those people selling healing and selling this and saying this. And if you call right now, a triple and abundance is going to come. If you call right now, it's a hundredfold. If you call, if you do this, if you, you can tell. That's nonsense. Stay away from it. Don't waste your money. If anything, bind the spirit of deception that touches that in other people. So much is said. All right. Now, if we believe that God heals, which we do, can I hear an amen? amen. And miracles are for today. Can I hear an amen? amen? That it is not something that's out of reach, but it is out of reach if we never stretch for it. Wasn't it our famous hockey player, Mr. Wayne, that said, you will miss 100% of all the shots you never take. You will miss 100% of all the healings you could have if you never go there, if you never pray, if you never try to cast out anything or break anything or believe for anything or go for anything. If you never go there, you will never have any results. The power of God is released in you when you put faith with it and step out of the boat. You cannot walk on water while you're in the boat. You have to get out of the boat to walk on water. You can be in the boat and say, I'm a water walker. I believe in water walking. You know, walking on water is so powerful. I confess water walking. I read water walking. I write songs on water walking. I'm going to stay in the boat. You can't confess it, sing it, pray it, write it, wear a t-shirt, I'm a water walker, and just look at the water. Then someone finally says, have you ever been out of the boat? No, are you kidding me? But I have a great song I've written on getting out of the boat. Have you ever prayed? No, but you know what? I have read a lot of stuff about this. It's not doing those things. At some point, you got to put your hand on the side of the boat, kick your legs over the side, and pray all the way to the water. And if you sink, believe in a resurrection. You've got to go for it. you got to go for it. Going for it means you have to get rid of a, an attitude. I have it sometimes. That's why I'm dealing with it. My wife has it more than me. <laughs> the attitude is Judges chapter 6 and verse 13. Judges 6, 13. And this is the thing I have to get deliverance from myself and we as a church. Gideon. An angel come to him. He said, Gideon, mighty, mighty man of God. Mighty man of valor. You're going to do absolutely incredible things. You're going to drive the Midianites out of the country. You are going to overturn the altars of Baal. You are going to be an awesome leader in this day. Great word. Gideon says, excuse me. Time out. Says it to the angel. Time out. Where are all the miracles that my fathers told us about? Gideon had never seen a miracle to that point himself, ever. Gideon had never heard a word of the Lord. Gideon never had a visitation from the supernatural. Gideon had nothing. So Gideon says, I'm sorry. Just one second here. 
I've heard about all the miracles coming up through Egypt and the man in the wilderness and the water from the rock and what God did with Jericho and blah, blah, blah. I've heard about all these miracles forever and ever and ever. And I just want you to know, I want to know where they are. If you're going to have me go do these things, I want to know what happened to the miracles. The angel of the Lord has to convince Gideon this point. Miracles happen as you go. You know, if I'm a Gideon, I'm thinking seeing an angel is a pretty good start. (laughs) Come on, is that right? I'm thinking, Gideon, duh, angel. Angel, if an angel came to me, I wouldn't ask any questions. I would just say, whatever you want, I will do. This is incredible. I've seen an angel. Gideon is convinced that as he goes, angels, God will be with you, mighty man. How will I know? Go and do these things. And as you go, God will be with you. Don't turn over the altar in the middle of the night and see what happens. Oh my goodness, if I do that, I'm a dead man. Go, see what happens. He could have stopped right then. He could have kept his attitude. Just like you and me. You know, when I pray for the sick, don't you think I get discouraged? Some of my best friends are sick right now and I want a healing and I don't know why I don't get the healing. I don't know why they don't get the healing. And miracles sometimes ticks me off. It just pushes me to the, to the cliff of frustration. Just why doesn't this happen more, more often? I'm not God. I'm not the person to debate God about this. My job is to not produce the miracle. My job is to cooperate with a miracle working God. My job is to live by faith and to pray and to reach and to stretch and to believe that God can. It is possible if I take a hundred shots, maybe two of them will be miracle shots. If I take no shot, none of them can be miracle shots. You have to step out. The first thing you have to do is change your attitude and quit asking, what about? Why doesn't it? Step out of the boat Believe God is with us. Activate your gospel preaching and your gospel sharing with a spirit of faith to pray for the sick, to pray for miracles in people's life, divine intervention miracles in every level of life. I remember the first miracle I was ever involved with. Her name was Paula. She had a tumor in her nose. Her boyfriend, Scott, was a friend of mine. I was a disciple now in the Jesus People Movement. They came to the meeting. Albie had us pray for people. I'd never prayed for anybody in my life for a miracle ever, ever. I am sure I had never seen a miracle to that point. I can't remember ever. So we prayed for Paula. Side of her nose was hard as a rock. We didn't even know how to pray in those days. Anoint with oil and pray, so we did. When Paula got healed, she began to scream. It wasn't, oh, thank you. Yep, nose is good. Awesome. (laughs) You can't fake a real healing. When people are really healed, something goes on. And they can't control themselves. They don't care what other people think. She had people putting their finger in her nose. (laughs) You know, that takes grace. (laughs) She was absolutely going berserk. I was involved with another healing. A blind woman, a grandmother. Diane Michaels, grandmother. Diane came to our meeting. She was a disciple. I know her. I know her grandmother by being at her house, but never, didn't really know her, but I knew she was there. She's blind. We went over to pray for her. I had never prayed for a blind person before. Why would you even pray for a blind person? In my estimation, it was only just out of grace to encourage them that somebody would think of praying for them, knowing nothing will happen, but at least someone loves you. That was my reasoning. 
least I can love on you. I don't think anything is going to happen, but know that we love you. We prayed for her. She got healed. She went berserk. She almost had a heart attack. She started breathing real hard, couldn't get off the couch. I thought for sure we're going to have to call an ambulance because we got her healed and then killed her. <laughs> I mean, honestly, she went absolutely out of it. In those circumstances, something happens in your spirit to realize there's more to this life than what I see. There absolutely is a real God, a powerful God, a healing God, a God who is able to do abundantly above all that we even asked or imagined. There is a God who still heals the sick. There is a God who breaks bondages off people. There is a God who moves in the lives of people to deliver them from ailments and bondages. You have no idea how much it would cost them otherwise. God can still do that. It lifted our faith to want to find anybody that had a need. From that point on, it's like, you need healing? I got the team. We poured cooking oil, peanut oil. We used all kinds of gross oils on people because whatever they had in their house, that's what we used. And we knew nothing about the little dab do you thing. We didn't know that. We would pour it on their head. Literally, we would pour it on their head. And I think Jesus healed them just so they could go get cleaned up. Because we were so out of our realm. But because there was a belief in that, we would do it. We saw lots of healing. Matter of fact, I'm convinced that the Jesus people movement was built on the power of God. And that's how the gospel was preached in those days because that's what happened. People were delivered from drugs. People were healed. People were the power of God was present, and that gave you faith to say to people, Christ is the answer. Jesus will move on your behalf. You need to believe this because God is going to do something in your life. There was something that happened when we prayed for people. Luke 7 and verse 16, message translation. They all realized they were in a place of holy mystery, and that's what happens when you move in a spirit of faith. Luke seven sixteen. That God was at work among them. And this is our, we're begging God to return and do this. They were quietly worshipful and then noisily grateful, calling out among themselves. What a great translation. God is back looking to the needs of his people. Can, can you even imagine a meeting like that where God is moving in a powerful way and people across the room and people are saying to each other, hey, God's back moving amongst us and meeting the needs of his people. Hey, God's back. Can you believe this? God's back. The Messiah has come. Look into the needs of his. Hey, God is back. Can you believe this? Things are going on. Come on, everyone shout, God's back. God's back. Now turn to a few neighbors around you and just say to them passionately, God's back. God's back. Come on, God is back. Look into the needs of people. God is back. God is back. If God is a creator, not if, we know who he is of heaven and earth and mankind and that God knows everything about you and me and God has all this power to touch people's life, would he not touch people to deliver them and put them into a sovereign destiny where they would serve him and they would also preach the gospel themselves? Come on, people. God is waiting for you to rise up with a spirit of faith and with that spirit say, God is back. Look into the needs of his people and I'm looking for the need to pray with and I'm going to believe God for a miracle. Miracle. Scripture for you. Luke 9, 1 and 2. Take it down. Tuck it into your spirit. This is your scripture. Then he called his 12 disciples together. You are a disciple. And this scripture still fits us as disciples. And I want you to notice the phrase. I hope you underline it in your Bible. And gave them power. And authority. Over all demons. I'm not telling you to go out and look for demons. If they find you, take care of them, move on. <laughs> Cure diseases. There's a lot of stuff going on. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God. And he said to them, by the way, heal the sick. 
Not in your power, it's not your kingdom, not your cross. You didn't die on the cross, you didn't rise from the dead. You serve the person who leads our movement is Jesus Christ. It's his power, it's by his blood, it's in his name. He's bought the right for us to use that name and he's bought the power to disperse on his people. And so it's in that name. I remember praying for a dead person. Have you ever prayed for a dead person? I've prayed for a few dead people to rise from the dead. First of all, it is totally against every cell in my brain, every muscle in my body, every word forming in my mouth. It is against everything in me. We're at the hospital praying for one of our guys. He died. Our group was at the hospital in the room praying that he would rise from the dead. There's a group of them in the room praying right here at the hospital on the hill the way we pray, which is the only way the Holy Spirit knows how to pray, loud. I'm kidding you. He can pray silent, but that's us. So they're praying. I come in, and the nurse and a doctor grabs a hold of me. Someone pointed me out. That's our pastor. So they bring me into their office. They uh, you're the pastor of this group? <laughs> Men, they're making noise. I said, yeah, <clears throat> I'm, I'm their pastor. He says, well, you know, they're praying for him to rise from the dead. Did you know that? I said, yeah. Yes, I, I do know that. He says, well, I want you to help us put a plan together as they pray. A plan together as they pray. He says, right now, they're disturbing people. They're a little loud. And he asked me the funniest question. He goes, how long will they do this? I said, well, depends. You know, all the people that I've seen rise from the dead. I mean, I'm not in this. I said, I don't know. It's however long they want. I, you know, I'm, uh, how long would you like us to pray for the dead man to rise? These are two doctors. They said, well, if, And he reasoned with me, very cute. He says, if God was going to do it, he could do it quickly, couldn't he? (laughs) And I thought, you know, that that was great reasoning. And so he said to me, how about if we give you all night? I thought, yeah, that's, well, sure, that would be fine. He says, how about if we move to another room where you guys aren't so noisy and you can then do whatever you do? Oh, that's great too. Okay, we have a plan then. And if he rises from the dead, we'll scrap our plan. That's what he said to me. I said, good, good idea. Scrap your plan. I had never talked to a medical person like that on doing something so ludicrous at talking about the guy might rise from the dead. He was more in tune with kind of being relaxed with it than I was. But laying hands on a dead person, I've done it several times. It's, it's funny. I mean, you just, you realize this is stupid. Or what would happen if he jumped out of bed? Come on. I mean to tell you. How many of you know in the New Testament, some people rose from the dead? How many of you know in the Old Testament, some people rose from the dead? How many of you know when you die, you're going to rise from the dead? Hello? I'm talking about the resurrection, not that someone comes just prays for your grave. All of us will experience resurrection at some point. But just to go there, enlarge my spirit of faith, to say, you know, it's possible. It's po- Turn to neighbor and say, it's possible. Now, I don't want you to go try to empty out all the morgues and the hospitals. But I want you to have a spirit of, it's possible. It's possible. Now, Power evangelism is Acts 1-8 for you and I. That's a normal scripture for you and I. Acts 1-8 goes with Luke 9 where it says, and you shall receive power. Everyone say, I shall receive power. The Bible still says, even 
From the Gospels to the book of Acts, you shall receive power. To Romans 15, which is later on, you shall receive power. And so right through the New Testament, I could give you all the power scriptures that are for you. You have to believe that Jesus Christ resides in you and that you have spiritual gifts. Some of you have healing, miracles, word of knowledge, word of wisdom. You don't move it in the word of knowledge, word of wisdom with unbelievers. It's, it's, a, it's fun. If it's right. <laughs> Praying for people. Have you ever been in a situation where you prayed for someone who was an unbeliever or an unchurched person and as you're praying for them, you slip and you start speaking in tongues? I've done that too. They say, what's that? Say, I'm Portuguese. <laughs> you know, just don't worry about it. I'm not going to go there and talk about But, uh, you know, you accidentally... If you're going to pray for unchurched, unsaved people... Don't grab them by the head and sway back and forth. Don't, don't hit them on the shoulders. Don't da-da-da-da-da-da-da on them. You need to maybe keep your hand to yourself unless they say, usually I would say, can I just hold your hand? That, that's as far as I would go to a physical touch, especially if I don't know the person. I'll hold my hand. What are you talking about? You pervert. What do you want to hold my hand? I mean, nowadays, there's a lot of weird people out there. Don't be one of them. All right? So you would just say, I'm just going to pray for you. I have never in my life had a person refuse prayer. Ever. Ever. Some have reluctantly said, well, it won't do any good for me. I said, still, can I pray? Yeah, go ahead. Give it your best shot. So I do. What I'm asking you to do is Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. Being led of the Spirit means you have some what? Divine appointments laid out for you every day, every week. Divine appointments are those appointments that happen in the kingdom of God where God sovereignly wants to move on someone's life and he wants to use you to be the feet, the hands, the eyes, the ears, the heart to touch that person's life. So he makes sure your life crosses with their life. It could be at a doctor appointment. It could be at a car lot. It could be at the school. It could be at the neighbor's house. It can be, it can be anywhere that you begin to sense this is a divine appointment. I have something for these people and I'm going to do it. You know, divine appointments are so strange because so much hangs on one thread in the kingdom of God. Have you ever thought about how sovereign life is and God is in your life when you think about some of the smallest little things that turned a huge part of your life? Just one little decision. I don't take this job, I take that job and that job. Just a fluke of no and yes. At this yes, you meet the guy that you're going to marry or the gal, and then it turns out that years later you have a family. What would happen if you had taken the other job? What happens if you would have just not gone to this school, gone to that school, never met? Or, I mean, just little tiny things. My life was hanging by a thread. A thread. I had been in the Jesus People movement. I got really wounded, really bitter, really angry, really frustrated, moved out of it, moved back to my parents' house and was done with the whole God thing because of what happened to me. As I was on my way to being messed up in my heart. I'd already entered the dark side of bitterness and unbelief and cynical. I was there and I was heading a hundred miles an hour the wrong direction. On a Sunday morning, a woman comes to my parents' home a woman I had only met one time in the Bible studies at Albie's house. Her husband was a pilot in the Air Force. She came to the door. Her name was Jane Baca. Knocked the door. My mom comes and gets me and says, there's a woman here to see you. Her name is Jane. I said, I don't know Jane. She says, well, she's here to see you. So I go out. There's Jane Baca. She says, Frank. God has sent me to talk with you. I don't think so. I said, I don't think so. She said, oh, yes. Yes. And God told me, 
you were going to go to church with me today. I said, oh, no. No, I'm not going to church today. She said, God told me you were. Get dressed. That's what she said. Well, what do you do? I didn't know. So she was such a nice lady. I went with her. I could feel nothing, care for nothing. We went to a little church, 300 people or so in the building. During the worship service, the pastor comes off the platform, grabbed me out of the side pew, and prophesies over me. I don't know him. He doesn't know me. Reads my mail, melts my heart, turns me back on track. I'm at the altar for forever, getting cleaned up, getting everything. It was the turning point of my life. It did not happen with an ordained pastor or a big prophet missionary or some angel coming. It was a little woman named Jane Baca whom never had anything to do with my life from that day forward or before. It was that moment she changed my life. I look back and I think, what would have happened if Jane would have said, this was stupid. I'm not driving out there. I don't even know this. I don't know his parents. I'm not. What would have happened if Jane just would have said, someone else can do it? Who knows what would have happened to me? A thread. You know, you are the Jane Baca to many people in your world. You don't know that it's that one word you speak, that one prayer. You don't know that they might just be ready, so ready to respond to something. Don't read their mail by looking at them just in the physical. You don't know what God has orchestrated in their life. When you finally say one word and they say, I've been thinking about that. You have? Yes. I even had a dream the other night. You did? Sometimes we're more unbelieving than the unbelievers. Well, yeah, that's probably God. And you just move in and you start. How many of you right now, today, right now, you're in the buildings today out of a thread. Someone invited you. You're at a crossroads. You have a lot of hurts in your life. Things are going on. But you ended up here. Today is your sovereign day. Bow your heads right now. Bow your head. Every campus. Just let me know where you're at. If you're a person in the auditorium today that would say, Pastor Frank, you know what? Today's my day. I don't know how I actually got here, but everything you're saying is for my life and for my turn. I believe God is involved with me. And I just want to turn totally to him and let him have his way. It's a sovereign thing that I'm even here. Would you lift your hand? Just lift your hand wherever you're seated and say, it's a sovereign thing. It's a sovereign thing.